This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two pretty stupendous people that I know, Nick White. Hey. And Kate Lamphere. Hi. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm very excited because my whole weekend has been nothing but Grant Morrison, and so I'm very excited to talk about Grant Morrison yet again on today's episode because I recorded two very long episodes of the Doom Patrol series that Paul and I are doing on Patreon this weekend, and Holy smokes, I have some thoughts about Grant Morrison, because this is our Goodreads Book of the Month special episode, but before we get to all of that, let's talk about comics that we have been reading and comics that we're excited for this upcoming week. Let's start with Nick. I'm going to ask you the question I ask every week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Go ahead. Things have been pretty good. I've actually had a decent amount of time to get around to doing some reading, so I've read a, a pretty pretty big hodgepodge of stuff, everything from... The first issue of Jody Hauser's series uh, TIE Fighter for Marvel slash Star Wars, which is going to be integrated Ooh. into a novel companion, I think called Alphabet Squadron. And yes, of course, it follows a group of TIE Fighter pilots. One or two of them may have second thoughts about working for the Empire, but um, I, <laughs> I, I I feel like that's, that's an ongoing theme. I feel like the Empire's Glassdoor score would not would not be real high. I also <laughs> feel like they would artificially adjust it, so maybe no one would ever find out. All right. But, um, Droid number 48631 says, Great place to work. Management could work on uplifting their lower <laughs> subordinates. Uh, yeah, maybe someone could uh, batten down the hatches on that trash compactor a bit better uh, <laughs> after last week's accident. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I read that. I read the first two issues of Michael Fief, um, perhaps best known for Copra. Michael Fief's run on G.I. Joe called Sierra Muerte, and it's it's basically Copra if you reskin it to G.I. Joe and give it the mm-hmm. G.I. Joe mythology, and that's not a knock. I think it's a fantastic fit. I think aesthetically he's got a really good uh, grasp of, of the G.I. Joe characters. And unlike unlike the G.I. Joe Saturday morning cartoon, while the comic isn't exactly um, a bloodbath, it isn't exactly lasers and explosions and everyone comes out okay on the other side only to fight right. another day. <laughs> Does Pe- anybody say Yo Joe? I feel like that's a thing that has to happen, right? Uh, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I read that a while ago. Uh, okay, but okay. Th- the main thing I want to talk about this week is Black Badge number five and number six. This is, of course, written by Matt Kint, drawn by Tyler Jenkins, with colors by his wife, Hillary Jenkins. I know I've talked about this book before, but I feel like it's really coming into its own. I think the first arc was a little slow. It didn't really world build and have the forward momentum that I wanted it to have. But this most recent arc really has has picked up where that one sort of didn't exactly follow through. Um, gotcha. But before that, I just want to say, like, this book's production quality, like, the cardstock covers, the great graphic design elements on the inner and outer covers, like, it's it's perfect. And yeah. anyone who's read a Matt Kent book, like Department H or Mind Management, you've seen that he has this sort of, like, all-encompassing cover-to-cover uh, aesthetic that he sticks to. Mm-hmm. And it just 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 a continuation, um, and it's 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 evident here as well. Um, but these issues follow the fact that um, our group of scouts called the Black Badge uh, Troop are participating in the Rainbow Badge Jamboree uh, along with three other teams. So it's Black Badge. There's one troop. I, I I know all their names. I think they gave them an issue four. I didn't look it up. I'm sorry, guys. Um, there's one that's basically made up of like intelligence sort of kids. So it's all like a basically a brain trust. There's a psyops troop. Uh, sure. And why then not? there's like... then there's the all girls troop. So uh, the teams are deployed always... at various locations on an island. Airdrops will be randomly dispersed and operate on a first-come, first-serve basis, and the first team to the top of the dormant volcano wins. So for those of you who aren't under the age of, like, 25, uh, they're talking about that Fortnite thing that everyone else has been talking about. <laughs> it's it's basically Fortnite or PUBG or... Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're doing a battle royale it's as a, a battle comic royale, book, is what you're saying? You know, um, well, Nick Literature did that first. I'm getting there. I'm getting there, yeah. okay? Get there. Get there, <laughs> I'm getting Nick. there. Uh, and, of course, there's not supposed to be any killing or maiming of fellow scouts. You are allowed to die due to the elements or 
you know, whatever misadventure you get into, but you can't or aren't supposed to be killed. We'll see how that goes. Um, of course, they devilishly kick things off by putting the squad with the kid that can't swim in a sinking boat and the team with a claustrophobic <laughs> kid in the middle of a cave that they'll have to swim out of. Right, right. Which, which feels very ripped from the headlines with that whole kids in the cave last summer or whatever that was. Yeah, I was going to say, who's designing this this game? Is this the creators of the Hunger Games? Like, what the hell? Right. Well, it's supposed to be the overarching scouting organization, you know, that oversees all these troops, I think. Uh, and gotcha. they put the girls on a hot air balloon that's basically struggling to stay above the trees. And, of course, our, our our group of kids are dropped into the middle of a desert where you have this exchange where one of them goes, this is Hunger Games, not Lord of the Flies. And then the other kid goes, it ain't Hunger Games, it's freaking Harry Potter. And then the other kid goes, Hunger Games, nobody got killed in Harry Potter. And then the other kid goes, uh, Cedric Diggory Rip. So, um... <laughs> Nick, is this actual dialogue? <laughs> this is dialogue. Yeah. No way. <laughs> It's great. It's great. Like there's a very there's a very meta moment where they reflect upon the literature that's influencing the book. So I I appreciated that. That's pretty great. It's pretty great. Um the art is just amazing. It's it's so great and and you basically get a little forward momentum in the fact that the uh intelligence kids tell them that there's actually this group called the Honor Society who's goal is of course global destabilization because that's just the that's just the obligatory check a check the box fill in response right. um that has been uh using this jamboree to recruit kids and so the kids that have been rumored to die or disappear within past years of the jamboree some of them may have actually been recruited by this group um yeah it was fantastic it was great we find out that the girls group actually uh uses a uses the whole girl scout cookies motif as a way to hide or conceal some of their some of their um tools they've got ones called um pink misties which seem to have plastic explosives in them and we see them diffuse a a science olympiad hostage taking thing in the 70s by blowing a hole through some dude's chest and uh (laughs) like you do no like you do (laughs) and they have other ones that are basically a truth serum that are called um, told you so's. Um, so okay, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's I really really enjoy this book. I think it's really taking off right now. And and anybody who who loved Grass Kings get on this book. Uh, even if you really didn't love Grass Kings, I think the mood and tone of this is different enough that I would still say give this a try unless you're like very opposed to Tyler Jenkins art for some reason, then, then that might be a deal breaker, I guess. Gotcha. I still haven't picked this. I mean, I should say I've picked all the issues up, but I haven't read any of them because just like department H I knew what I was getting into and that it was going to be very good. So I'm not too worried about it. And it sounds to me like it's, it's pretty fantastic because I love Grass Kings after you forced me to read it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I, I feel like this book is just in, in that in that same line of good that, that, that this pair has made in the past. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's right in line, but not really um, soaked in the melancholy that Grass Kings was, I would say. Right, right. Well, cool. Kate, what about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? All that jazz. I am a little ill, so apologies if I if I sound awful. Um, I've been busy with home improvement, and I've been mm-hmm. busy with work, and I went camping a little bit. And wait, so you've been it snowed, you've been so you've been marathoning the the uh, Tim Allen series Home Improvement? Is that what yeah. I mean? Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> like okay. when you said Home Improvement, I, I was uh, uh. yeah. I was gonna say who's gonna make the uh noise because. We all have to. Um, oh, I'm so bad. Nope. Sorry, guys. Xander, please cut all that out. <laughs> no, keep it in. <laughs> Anyways, Xander, Kate, don't how... be an owl. Don't be a spoil sport. <laughs> keep it in. Yes. Kate, how, how have comic books been otherwise? Good. I I joined the fan club of Immortal Hulk by Al Ewing. Um, Brian got it out of the library, so of course it was sitting there and I read mm-hmm. it. And between that and reading Animal Man for this week, I think I've read more superhero comics in the last two weeks than I normally read in about two months. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and... Uh, Otherwise, I read a book called Maker Comics, Bake Like a Pro, and it's by Fallon Koch, and it's published by First Second, who I continue to be impressed by. And I swear somebody from the IRCB crew mentioned this, but I can't for the life of me remember who. So, Oh, me either. Whoever it was, thank you, <laughs> because this is pretty fantastic. I, 
It's got whimsical art and dialogue. It's about um, this girl who exists in a, in a fantasy world. And she's an apprentice. She's been assigned to her magician um, master, so whoever she's being trained by. And she's like, wait, baking isn't magic. But as we come to find out through the, the course of the book, baking is magic. Because <laughs> why not? Because why not? <laughs> um, it is a little bit unsettling that all of her ingredients and finished baked goods all have faces and talk to her like secondary oh, that's characters. That's me out. Yeah. Oh wait, that's like some weird Pee Wee Herman shit. <laughs> yeah, that's like don't don't like make real relationships. You know, just uh, keep your distance. <laughs> yeah. The the shelled the pre cracked eggs have one character voice, and then the yolks inside of the eggs are another character voice. So the oh, I think no. at one point the shell and the yolk talk to one another, or they're both talking to her at the same time, or something. <laughs> it was unsettling. <laughs> but, yeah, this is like Cars when they have the eyes and the faces, and I'm like, well, where are the yep. people? And if there aren't any <laughs> yeah. people, then why do they have doors? And what is this world? Yeah, it's yeah. best right, not to right. think about. Uh, but it it was it, it is very cute, and I now know why it's important to sift your flour before you make a cake. And um, all of the recipes are in the back of the book. The sh- all the recipes that she makes. So I'm going to oh, have okay. to be uh, I'm going to have to be baking a little bit more to try some of these. But I was going to ask if there was like some instruction portion of the comic because I just yeah. the preview I saw on Amazon looks like it's just a comic, but there's actually some learning to be oh, done yeah. in this book. Then yeah, it, I think that it's probably geared toward. Well, people who are younger than me, in any case, I was going to say children, but maybe like teenagers that are learning to bake. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to say there's there's an oven involved, so you probably at least have to be over (laughs) three. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The ingredients are telling her why it's important that you sift your flour with your baking soda and Uh the different temperatures of butter and why you want your butter at a certain temperature for certain things. It's very Mm -hmm. informative. (laughs) <laughs> wow um, See, this is like it's like one of those things where you're watching the great british bake-off and you're like oh i learned a thing yeah um, even though you were just consuming this media that you just yep. like yeah yeah and there's this is a whole series so far there's fix a car out that i also got from the library and have yet to read and then there's another three that are due to be released within the year so nice. i'm gonna be learning a lot from some very fun little whimsical books <laughs> I'm just so worried cool. for when Kate checks out Commit the Perfect Crime. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maker Comics, the perfect crime. Yep. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, well, that's that sounds awesome. Honestly, I, I feel like we talked about this at some point in some group chat, um, but I yeah. cannot put my finger on it. This sound, I'm yeah, glad that it's as good as it looked. I mean, the cover looks gorgeous. So You know what's yeah. hilarious? And while I'm not sure, but I'm pretty confident about this, while Kate seems to think someone else introduced this to her, I'm pretty sure Kate found this on her own and introduced it to everyone else. I don't know where from then. <laughs> wait, wait, I think you were... thought someone else brought it to you. That's fine. I'm, I'm yes. informing you know myself yes. somehow. Yes, this is a great <laughs> moment in like in like a movie, right? Where all of a sudden you're Matthew McConaughey flying between yeah. the you know, yeah, quantum yeah, yeah. zone. Um, anyways, let's not spoiler all all of Inception for no people. No one's going to see Interstellar. No one's gonna... <laughs> or, yeah, Interstellar, sorry. Um, anyways, for me this week, I'm just going to move right on. I've been all right. I've been recording all sorts of podcasts and doing all sorts of things. I've I've had a kind of a laid back week at work, so I had a little bit more free time like when I came home to read some comics. But the one book that I want to read or want to talk about this week that I read was The Fearsome Dr. Fang. This is from TKO Presents, that new comic book publisher um, that came out. They've been they've been making some waves in the press. I think a little bit with their whole distribution, um, the way that they're distributing their comics, in that they are selling directly to customers, directly to comic book shops. They're sidestepping Diamond. Um, they're doing all the distribution themselves, uh, and so you can go to their site and you can buy all of their comics that are available in a collected edition format, in a single edition format where you get all the single issues that are released for the miniseries because all their books are mini miniseries. Um, and it comes in like a commemorative little box that's like tailored towards the book that you're buying. Or you can just buy the digital collected edition. Or you can go to Comixology, I found out today, and you can buy their, their collected editions as well. So, Wait, so you're saying right now I could get on my computer and order all of the single issues at once and I would get yep. them all at once? Yes. So all of their comics come out in like a binge mode fashion where you 
read all the issues. There's no monthly release. There's just all six issues come out or all the, like the whole collected edition comes out. Like they're all released at the same time, or at least that's how the model works right now. Do you uh, know what's it, the price difference between buying the set of singles and the trade? Do you know? I think the trade is a little bit more because it's always hardcover. Uh, interesting. Okay. That's I, interesting. I mean, I, and I, I'll have to do some research. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. I could be completely wrong. It may be cheaper to get the trade. It may be cheaper to get the single issues. I don't remember because the single issues come in like this box. So maybe it's the same price. I feel like it's the same price. Either way. Do you know why they re- why they release single issues if they're releasing them all at once and can put them in a volume? I think the idea is, I mean, and I, I'm not a representative of the company. In fact, I want to reach out and talk to this guy because I read some interviews with him and he's his name is uh, Z Chun, and he's like forefronting this with a couple of other people, and uh, it, it's, it's such an interesting business model. And I, they released the single issues, I think, because there are collectors out there who are like, I don't, I just want to put this in a box. I don't want to like put it on my shelf. I just want the single issues. And I think you get unique covers that you don't get in the collected edition when you get the single issue. Plus, you get the commemorative box. All sorts of stuff. I mean, go to their website, TKO Presents, and this isn't me just plugging them. I think it's a really interesting model. I think it's a new way to look at comics, and it's very, very interesting to me. Um, so I grabbed uh, a couple of their books, and I pre-ordered the Gabriel Walta and Jeff Lemire book that's coming out from them. Uh, and so I grabbed this book, The Fearsome Dr. Fang. This is by Z Chun, the founder, and Mike Weiss on writing, with Dan McCade on pencils and inks, and Daniela... Miwa on colors and this is one of their first books that they put out like it's one of the things they launched with um i grabbed the digital trade like i said but i found out that it was on comiXology if i wanted that i don't know maybe i'll go and buy it again because i'm a i'm a dummy but i feel like this this book on the whole it's a pretty straightforward action story we get a twist on a villain who's actually a hero dr fane he's the bad guy but he's actually a good guy he only kills bad people so on and so forth but he is this feared person across the entire world people are like oh we can't cross dr fane he will kill you and he's just this single solitary man. Um, I won't go through the full plot because I think you should read it. I think it's a really good story. Um, what struck me about this book, though, is the color work all throughout. I think Daniela Miwa like really, really got me in. Like the the way that she uses the color palette in this book is is really impressive. I feel like a Franca Villa vibe. I feel like this, like she's had a very good control at making things pop on the page. Um, and so I was I was super into it. And that's not saying that Dan McCade's art is bad by any means. I think his pencil work is very good. There's so much detail in this book. It's impressive. And I think when um, Z Chun, he did this interview in the Panel X panel book that I read, which has got me which got me more interested in it. Um, he said that their reason for releasing everything at once and letting creators take their time with their books is because they want to make sure that they're releasing the most top quality books they can. I mean, if you think about it, when you look at a graphic novel or an original graphic novel, I should say, versus, you know, single issues, in single issues month to month, you can see some slipping in some cases, whereas in a graphic novel, usually that's it's a pretty honed book um, because the book comes out when it's done. And I think that's kind of the goal here with TKO Presents is they're making sure that all their books can be completely done. We don't have to worry about scheduling. We don't have to worry about anything you just get the comics and uh it's very clear in this book that there was a lot of detail and love paid attention to this book because every single page is is portrait-esque like you could you could take some of the like bigger spreads that they have and put them on a wall um because dan mccade dan mccade and danielle Mua, like honestly very very impressive stuff um i think on the whole, though, like the Fearsome Doctor Fane is a pretty good book. I give it like a B plus, A minus. I think it's a little clunky near the end, but on the whole, it really felt like this could have been a series that you kept reading over and over. And maybe, maybe they'll do more um, Fearsome Doctor Fang in the future because this first volume only covers like one adventure with the main character. But um, I would really read more of this book. I think there's a really cool premise of the idea of this lost world, um, similar to like an Indiana Jones or National Treasure or whatever you want to call it, um, where there's like this hidden history that only a handful of people know about. Uh, I get really sucked into stories like that, so this book super worked for me. But if you're if you're looking, for, I'm, I'm going to try out the couple of other books that they have. I bought one of the other ones that were released, and I pre-ordered two more books. So I'm I'm looking forward to what TKO Presents puts out because. I, I think it's a really interesting way, and I want to support them where I can, especially to try their stuff, because it's one thing to be like, oh, that's cool, and never buy the book, but like to actually try their things, and you can see just with this book, while it's not perfect, I think it's still a very stellar comic book, and it's very obvious that they spent a lot of time making sure that it was as polished as possible before they released it, but... 
yeah, that's my whole big rant about this TKO thing. I think it's really cool. Um, yeah, for sure. Let's, uh, but let's move on to comics that we're excited for this upcoming week. Comic books are releasing on May 1st, 2019. Let's talk about what we're excited for. Let's start with you, Kate. Uh, real quick, I just wanted to mention that Die Number 5 is getting a second printing. So mm-hmm. if you need more reason to get into the series and you haven't already... That's another reason. <laughs> yeah. There's a, I found a, an article from Bleeding Cool where the title of the article was Industry Descends into Chaos as Die Number Five Rushed to Second Printing. Yeah. So <laughs> Water is wet. Thank you, Bleeding Cool. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, but what I'm excited for is uh, Paper Girls number 28 by Brian K. Vaughn, Cliff Chang, and Matt Wilson. And this is issue number three of the final arc. And I'm, I'm very behind in the series. But from what I remember, there's pterodactyls, people from the future, yep. giant mites, yep, uh, time traveling. It's it's pretty fantastic and chaotic, and I'm really excited that this is going to eventually, well, within the foreseeable future, be collected into a trade and available at my public library. So that the next time I think about it, I can just be like, oh, I can finish this for free. <laughs> yeah. It sounds it sounds like you and I kind of paused on that book at the same time. Yeah. I didn't stop buying it, but I told myself that I wasn't going to read it until there was a couple of arcs together because there was so much to keep track of. Yes. Um, I'm, think... I'm very excited for the book to end so that I can read it all, which is a terrible I... thing to say, but I, I am excited to read the end. I know I've read this, I've, I've read the first volume probably three times at this point for different reasons. So mm-hmm. now I can, you know, reread it again and then finish the whole series. <laughs> That's awesome. That's I, I'm excited for this issue. This was going to be my pick as well, except for there's X-Men books. So yeah, um, got to talk about that. Yep. Nick, what about you? What are you excited for this week? Well, for me, it's Black Hammer 45, number three. Um, maybe it's just me, but it's one of those weeks where I actually didn't have a lot coming out. I don't know if it's one of those weird scheduling things. Although mm-hmm. I think that's usually when there's like a too many, there's more Wednesdays in a month than normal. So you know what I mean? Yeah. We've talked about this yeah. before on the show, uh, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's that. Um, anyway, so I'd, I've been putting off the first two issues of this mainly because I was kind of really nervous to see Jeff Lemire actually delegating writing duties, which up to this point, um, he hasn't delegated at all. All of Black Hammer has been written by him. But with Black Hammer 45, uh, he's working out the story beats with Ray Fox, but then Ray Fox is actually doing the writing, which again, I know I've talked about this before. My experiences with Ray Fox's writing have been limited, largely limited to his DC work, uh, such as Constantine and Justice League Dark. And um, uh, Gotham by Midnight, for example. Uh, and I haven't really loved it. I feel like he's done a serviceable fill-in job um, when he's followed Lemire, which he's done multiple times. But also that I just didn't like his Constantine at all. Uh, Juan Ferreira did art on on Constantine and Gotham by Midnight. Great job for him on both of those. Those were fantastic. But that being said, uh, still reading it. And so... Um, I do like that the series just flat out kicks off with members of the Black Hammer Squadron scaling the side of an Axis bomber mid-flight, blowing open Mm -hmm. the hatch, and just delivering this payload to these horrified, you know, German Nazi soldiers inside or whatever. It was really a crazy way to kickstart things. Uh, And and from here, we sort of get a a montage of the squadron's exploits throughout the war, which really just leans heavily into that elevator pitch we see a lot um, in either Hellboy or Indiana Jones or other media, where it's just basically like, hey, um, what if the Nazis were into even weirder stuff and did even (laughs) worse stuff than we thought that they had done? which is basically what Hellboy is. Right, um, right. So that's fair. This book basically leans into that. We we find out that the Nazis are trying to ha- harness the power of nature via their Sturmhexen, and they've got Drachenkriegers, which is Dragon Warriors, for those of you who didn't make it through second-year German. Um <laughs> And these warriors have, in fact, gotten their hands on a real dragon of sorts. So it's basically World War II history meets weird science, which means I know it basically... They didn't even have to finish the first sentence of their pitch to get Matt Kent on board. Right. Like They were like, weird science. He's like, I'm there. I'm Sign me up. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, but the 
the focus of this comic is largely around the squadron's last mission, three weeks before the end of the war in Europe. They're trying to rescue a family of scientists that are working on something interdimensional in Austria before the Germans kill them or the Soviets claim them for their own purposes. Um, which means they're going to have to go up against this pilot called the Ghost Hunter. We don't know a lot about him, but Kent draws him at a banquet with Hitler, which is just never good optics. Like, you really can't spin your way out of that one. It's just <laughs> tough. So <laughs> I think we know enough to know where he stands where he stands also p.s the russians have a giant mechanized unit called the red tide right so so there's giant mechs and and robots and uh it's 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 so so very matt kent um that it, it hurts um having a lot of fun with this i think probably the big question that a lot of people had going into this book or or have as this book goes on is where does this fit into the bigger black hammer universe i mean that's inevitable that's the big question and it kind of shines a light on with Black Hammer basically being an analysis or a dissection of, of you know the history of comics on the whole. Um, we saw a lot of our you know comic heroes go into war, right? It was a big part of the whole World War II thing. And basically, Black Hammer forty five is no different. We see Golden is it Golden Gale? I think it's Golden Gale, and and Abraham Slam and a couple other characters making appearances, um, but they are definitely on the periphery. So, um, yeah, yeah, I would definitely recommend this book to people, unless you're one of those people that just doesn't have a thing for Matt Kent's art, and that's okay, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah, it's a very it's a very fun book. I'm enjoying it so far. I've only read the first issue, but I'm I'm digging it. Um, as for me this week, I'm excited for Age of X Man, Prisoner X. This is Vita Ayala. And Herman Peralta, I don't know why I always want to say his name incorrectly, um, but <laughs> basically uh, this series has been really fun. Prisoner X has been a really interesting take on the X-Men, put them inside this prison and let them kind of work out the kinks with their different strange new Age of X-Men personalities. Um no one told me that I was going to need a prison story about X-Men in my life. No one told me I was going to need a story about Big Bad Beast and his little friend Honey Badger. No one told Who? me I was going to No one told me I was going to need to read about Lucas Bishop, the mystery solver in a prison. Honey Badger is X-23's clone who's a little girl, so X-23 treats her like a sister. It's a really fun thing. You go read Tom Taylor's All New Wolverine. It's one of the best Wolverine books you can read, hands down. It's really who, fun. Who, who the is, jokes who, are really who solid. Is Big Bad Beast. Oh, who? I call him Big Bad Beast. It's Beast, but he's this like imagine the big tough guy in the prison, but it's Beast. So instead of being you know hyper intelligent, which he still is, he's like this brutish character who's like, "Don't talk to my friends. Don't touch my friends. I thought I told you not to talk to my friends." That's his character in this, and it is such a fun way to twist on this this take a spin on this beast character um and that's what all of age of x-men has been is weird fun takes on these characters that are broken in a way because x-men has broken the universe in order to make this quote-unquote utopia where the x-men and mutants in general thrive where there are no more humans as far as i know and oh. everyone's a mutant so but okay, but Bishop is in prison, if you recall from way back when, when I first talked about this, because he was in a romantic relationship with Jean Grey. And this was his, his third strike for being in a romantic relationship in this world where no romantic relationship is allowed. Because the joke goes that X-Man is this, like, neckbeard, uh, fedora-wearing <laughs> nerd who can, who's like an incel who doesn't think that anyone can love him because he's too you know whatever all that garbage um and i mean that's the joke but i don't think that's actually the case instead he's trying to weed out all of the problems of the world and part of that is by um there being humans and mutants so instead he gets rid of all the humans and relationships cause problems so he gets rid of all relationships and if you're caught in a romantic relationship you get your brain wiped but bishop has been wiped too many times or he can't be wiped anymore for some reason so they send him to jail knowing full well that he broke the law and as well as all these other people maybe they were in romantic relationships maybe they weren't we don't really know all their stories but they're all in jail as well so again it's a it's a really interesting story that takes place in this where you get to see like the incarcerated side of the universe rather than just sending someone to a black box and we never get to check in with them there's actually a full-blown story in the jail so I, i'm really digging it i think vita's doing a fantastic job with the writing i mean they're 
and they totally get it. And I've read interviews with them, and I've heard interviews with them, um, and they are super into this. They've got so much love for all the characters that are in this book. So uh, I'm totally digging it. I can't wait for this this series to reach its full potential in the next couple of issues, including this one. So very, very pumped about Age of X-Men, Prisoner X number three. I'm just trying to adjust to a, a beast where he's not wearing those stupid goofy ass glasses and trying to quote Shakespeare to everybody or something yeah, like that. He never does that, but okay. But he does wear the glasses. The funny thing about it is somehow they gave Beast a beard. Like he's covered in blue fur. Yeah, how how does that work? They gave That's him weird. a beard in that like his face is shaggier. It's it's quite a sight. I would oh. say Google Google Age of X-Men prisoner x beast because he just looks bigger and hairier and it's a it's a lot of fun i'm imagining a billy goat beard <laughs> it's kind of i mean it's kind of <laughs> like that but it's all just a big mess of blue fur i don't know it's it's a really fun book guys i think if you're if i had to tell people what books to pick up in the age of x-man event right now prisoner x is in, my, in the forefront marvelous x-men is in the forefront next gen is probably number one but that's because i'm biased because i love them teenage x characters um yeah it's prisoner x is very good guys i i can't can't get over that it's better than some of the other ones that are coming out um i don't know i'm not feeling age of x-men and the amazing nightcrawler too much uh, i do love a story about nightcrawler but it's just this one seems really dramatic for reasons that are just because we need drama versus actually unraveling the universe that age of x-men created and Tim Seeley's book, um, Apocalypse and the Extracts, is uh, something. Yeah, uh, uh, or The Extremist, I'm sorry. Extre- Apocalypse and the Extremist, it's, it's something. I, I, it's very clunky. It's very weird. I, I understand the need but to have X in the title, but I think Prisoner X could have been easily swapped out for a nice little riff on a Netflix show, and they could have just gone with Mutant as the New Black. Like, <laughs> maybe ex- a little bit on the nose with Bishop, I think. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anyways, um, yeah, let's take a break. And we come back, we're going to talk about Animal Man from Grant Morrison and a whole bunch of folks from the Goodreads Book of the Month pick. For our show this week, we are talking about our Goodreads Book of the Month as picked by the fantastic, wonderful, ever-amazing people over on our Goodreads group, 540 folks strong and growing continuously. This week, we're talking about Animal Man, Volume 1. This is from 1988, written by Grant Morrison with art by Chaz Trug, inks by Doug Hazelwood, and colors by Tatiana Wood. Holy smokes. What a book. This feels like the most DC book I've ever read in my entire life. Uh, I'll just say that. I, I've been reading a lot of Grant Morrison recently, so like, I feel like I have a weird insight into this comic because of all the Doom Patrol that I've been reading, but I won't go too deep on that yet. Nick and Kate, I want to hear what you guys thought about this, and I know we need to go through our thread and talk about what folks on the Goodreads group also thought about it, but let me get your initial thoughts. Kate, let's start with you. Oh boy. So this was definitely um, from its time. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least, yep. yes. The the fashion was just the iconic 80s mullets, um, shirts tucked into their jeans, um, Ellen's hair. Oh, hold on. I think you actually need to come to Brooklyn because people still dress like that here. Um, oh it's like a weird circular fashion thing. Anyway, sorry. Can we but, talk about all the cutoffs too? Like, good God, oh, the cutoffs. <laughs> You get a cutoff, and you get a cutoff. Everything, like, all your clothes, the, cut off. The cutoff <laughs> jeans are just—they're oh, so bad. Um, Ellen uh, Buddy Baker's wife had the iconic '80s mom hair that that moms from the '80s still have today. Yep, yep, yep. And of course, there was um, some sexism. There absolutely had to be. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> Not a matter of oh, of course there would be. It's that there had to be. Yep. <laughs> Uh, this is a good time to bring up Francis on Goodreads mentioned. Okay, so here's, <clears throat> he said, it's hard to understand why it seemed like such a good idea to perpetuate this trope so prolifically in the dark era of comics, but it pleased me that Morrison corrects it with some degree when Ellen shows more agency later in chapter eight. And which, mm-hmm. what he means is that there was a scene where Ellen almost gets raped by just these hunters in the woods that are being jerks while Buddy's off like fighting actual supervillains. Um, but then she like turns around and a couple of issues later, she punches this guy super duper hard and it was 
really fantastic. Yeah. But the whole, the first scene was completely out of the blue. I didn't even understand why it had to happen in the first place. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like the comic was trying to say, is Buddy really ready to be a superhero out in the world when his family needs him back home to protect them? Right. Didn't really make so much sense. Yeah, and I mean, we can we can get into all the weirdness of this book. <laughs> but Kate, I guess the question um, is, what did you think of this? Did you did you read it all through and you were like, yeah, I need to get on volume two tomorrow? No. Or were you feeling kind of <laughs> lukewarm on it? So this felt like I was missing a hundred more pages of content, which I know that they... I think the Animal Man was also in some other series that was ongoing at the time. Yeah. So they they were kind of trying to keep his character consistent with what was happening in those other books, maybe. But I feel like when they do that now, you at least get some footnotes like see this other series issue number whatever, or um, last issue in this series, Buddy beat up this other character that's now showing up here. Like we have some help today. And in this book, that's gone. So we're just jumping from supervillain to supervillain. Yeah, I think there's something to be said. I know Nick's got a bunch of notes on the foreword that Grant Morrison wrote for this volume. And I think we should address that. But um, I want to just get your thoughts on, like, initially about the volume. And it sounds to me like you and I are kind of in the same place. Nick, what did you think about this book? Don't tell me you loved it from beginning to end. I I, I have a feeling (laughs) you didn't. No. (laughs) Um, Like... It really comes across like it's three, four, maybe five very distinctive um, arcs, like tonally and and, and in terms of being something that you would see more from Vertigo versus something you would see more from DC. Like the stuff just all feels very distinct. Um, Like issues one through, I think, four feel very cohesive and then five and six are their own thing which is still very weird and then mm-hmm. seven eight nine also um kind of feel like their own distinct thing and as as you were getting at mike like grant morrison seems to be painfully aware of this um so um these issues i think came out in 88 and 89 and they were collected in 91 for the volume that we're reading mm-hmm. and Morrison wrote his own introduction in 91. Um, and he talks about how, um, basically he was discovered in 87 after Watchmen and Swamp Thing, both done by a fellow Brit, Alan Moore, um, received critical acclaim. And so DC said, well, maybe we should, should see if there's anybody else, um, from the UK that we can have Russell through our back catalog and, and dig sure. up some of those older characters. Um, right. And and Morrison seems to basically make apologies in, in this introductory sequence uh, for the confusion caused by DC having his book get roped into an event at the time, which was called Invasion, which is what Kate was talking about. Uh, and I believe that encompassed issues five and six of this trade mm-hmm. in which the Thangarians invaded Earth. Uh, those are the people that like Hawkman and, and Hawkgirl or that's the planet there i don't look i don't know much about hawkman he's kind of a dweeb sorry hawkman fans (laughs) i don't want to hear it okay um (laughs) and he like so morrison ends up basically like painting a roadmap of sorts for navigating the narratives within this volume which is really interesting because you have morrison being like hyper aware of like sorry my book got roped into this and sorry this happened and here's how you need to understand all these different issues and what was going on and it seems very kind of forward thinking for 1991 to sort of Mm -hmm. be aware of this kind of secondary market and trade readers and things like that and I, I don't know I felt that that was sort of an attitude that I didn't really that didn't really strike me as something that was going on at the time right you I mean, know, events events in general weren't like, I don't know. I I I don't. I haven't read enough comics from that time, but it seems kind of strange to think that even in 1988, 
we were having this issue where a book gets hijacked by an event and then you have to make some changes that weren't really part of your greater master plan. Um, and I think yeah. we've, maybe we've seen some fixing of that in the last couple of years, but even then, that doesn't necessarily make up for 20 plus years worth of fuck-ups um, on, the, on the part of Big Two. Uh, but I guess, I, again, I, I'm curious, your thoughts on this book on the whole, like are you, are you rip-roaring ready to go into volume two? Uh, you know, I I thought I rather enjoyed the first half, which is mm-hmm. kind of funny because I feel like that's when Grant Morrison hasn't really um, uh, evolved into peak Morrison yet, which I think is what issue five basically is yeah. with Coyote Gospel. Oh, yeah. um, I thought issues one through four were... I don't know. I thought they were kind of... They were enjoyable. They still had sort of a... a a tone and a voice that was still somewhat Morrison and not very like bland samey that you would expect from comics mm-hmm. um, from five onwards. As Kate said, it was kind of hard to even say if some of that stuff was good or bad because you just felt like you weren't getting the whole picture mm-hmm. and, and maybe we weren't. I mean, I obviously haven't read all of fucking in- invasion, what I think yeah. must be hilarious for me is, like, I'm sure, tonally, most of Invasion was very much like Rock'em Sock'em, Punch him in the Head, haha, super heroics. So the people that were buying all of it and got roped into buying this Animal Man issue must have been fucking insane. They must have been like, <laughs> what have I gotten into when there's this guy who was like, oh, this is this is my masterpiece, and when this bomb goes off, you'll all collectively experience my 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 past, and when it reaches its most you know, emotional moment, everyone will die or whatever. Um, it was kind of dumb, guys. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Okay, so I, I feel like the, I mean, I've read this series before. I read all of it from beginning to end maybe like three years ago, four years ago. There was like a holiday where I just sat down with a tablet and just like face down at a Thanksgiving dinner and was like, I'm reading Animal Man. I was an adult. I was like 25, 26 (laughs) and I was like, I'm reading Animal Man. I don't know. I read through the whole thing. I recall feeling really hooked in the first half and really torn on the second half, but I was kind of breezing through. Even on this reread, I remember I, I really liked what Morrison was doing with getting in your face. So uh, with his uh, like whole vegetarian anti-animal testing thing that he was pushing, um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I liked all that stuff. I was I was that's what I was hoping for when the Animal Man book like started, and I got that. And then it, the book really itself I don't think really picks up until like the third arc, if I recall, which is strange to think that it takes three arcs to get there. But again, this is the '80s; they're just putting out comic books. Who cares? Well, um, I think what doesn't help is that a lot of the stuff that you see in the second half of this book, and and I'm I'm not including like five and six where it, you know, where it where it becomes part of invasion, but but some of the rest of the second half, from what I understand, um is very much playing into a big picture sort of situation for Morrison. Yeah. Apparently like a lot of a lot of it are threads that won't go resolved until you know arcs later as Absolutely. as you were getting at. So yeah, I mean, and and I don't want to get too much into the future volumes, but there are moments like him and him and Martian Manhunter hanging out. I think is a really good issue. Yeah, that um, was good. I, I really enjoyed that. But him and the what was it? The red something. What was his name? Uh, red, red helmet. Red mask. Helmet. Red. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What I, I, that issue just made me feel weird. Yeah. And I yeah. I didn't like that at all. And again, the the two issues with the with the invasion, like whatever. This book is really strange in that it doesn't deliver like yeah and i mean like i said i've been reading a lot of doom patrol and doom patrol kind of does the same thing where morrison's like i got this three to four issue arc that i want to do and i'll throw a filler filler issue in and then when the collection comes out it's like eight or nine issues long and you're like holy fucking shit there's so how there's no central story in this collection and maybe that's not the point because I think I'd rather have you know six volumes of Doom Patrol or five volumes of Animal Man versus twelve volumes of Doom Patrol and ten volumes of Animal Man. Like that would feel really weird. Like very very short things. But in it's in the defense of that idea, like Morrison, I think is much better digested in smaller chunks. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I guess. Just take the one arc and deal with that as a, as like the first volume. I guess the nice thing about having this kind of an, almost anthology in this book is that I kind of know what parts of the story that I like and what parts to, that I don't like because I didn't understand or particularly like the ones with the uh, Thanagarians. So uh-huh. I feel like I don't need to read Invasion, but I know that if there's something else that has Animal Man and Martian Manhunter, Martian Manhunter, I'm into that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, like I, I really loved the integration of DC canon, which kind of like confused me because I was like, I thought this was a Vertigo book, but mm-hmm. apparently Vertigo didn't show up until 1993, which is mm-hmm. when the book got folded into Vertigo. But up until that point, it was still mainstream DC canon. Yeah. Huh. Even I mean, though I like- it was operating without the Comics Code Authority seal. Which was yeah. a big deal, I guess. Well, and I like the idea of Buddy Baker being this outsider hero who at one point during the Infinite Crisis, or the Crisis as they call it, um, he goes and he's like, I'm going to be a superhero, but then he retires or can't do superhero work because he's still trying to be an actor slash stuntman. And him wanting to say, you know, I want to be a superhero again and trying to integrate into the JLI and then kind of making fun of other people that are in the Justice League in oh general. Like, how He's is so Blue petty, Beetle? I fucking love it. <laughs> yeah, well, and again, that's that's really funny stuff. I think that's the kind of stuff that I think really gets people into the Animal Man story because you get these one-off issues that are weird and don't necessarily work, but then you get these moments where you're like, oh shit, Morrison's like taking some stabs. This is really fun. Um, and again, that's why this this volume on the whole for me is lukewarm because there are parts that I was like, blah, how did I keep reading this? And then I'm like, oh no, there are it- moments where I'm like, oh, this is actually really funny and I'm having a good time. Um, and, it, and I think that's what people remember the most is the latter there, is that they had a really good time on the whole reading this. And I mean, you keep going into this and this this series is going to break your brain a little bit but um i i really think that those shining moments in this volume are what make it worthwhile for the read even though there are some tougher moments i think one of my favorite parts was in buddy was sitting on top of a building eating a bag of chips and a jar of salsa <laughs> for lunch yeah yeah because he's vegetarian <laughs> I just love that, like, he basically should have, when he got back into super heroics, he should have just changed his name to basically the human doormat because his family just fucking walks all over him. It's hilarious. Oh, my God. Like, this entire book is basically the roast of Buddy Baker, and and I'm here for it. Like, totally. His family, especially his son, is fucking savage. Like, good (laughs) lord. His son is such a young punk. I love it. (laughs) I I love when, uh, like, um... He uh, he calls up his son to like tell him after like the Thangarian thing is over, and he calls up his son, and he's like, "Hey, I I met I met um you know I met Captain Adam," and he's like basically trying to impress his son with all of his new fucking friends, and his son is like, "Yeah, Dad, it was kind of weird. We didn't see you on TV at all, and uh, <laughs> it's so bad." Where the yeah. kid who thinks he's Aquaman and tries to get his autograph. And oh like, my gosh. That moment is made even worse by the fact that that was very much at a time when Aquaman was already like not in vogue and not cool. So the fact that the, right. he wasn't even on Aquaman standards is just oh my god, like any any time he um or when he has to go to the library to figure out who Bawana Beast is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Like uh like I'm I'm sure if if he was Superman they would have let him just take the book home, but because he's stupid animal man he has to sit in the reference section and and be like oh it's buana beast yeah this is very much a a story about like a b or c level heroes trying to just make it in the world which i don't know if dc at the time had done a story like this before where it was like a real life person who also was a superhero versus the other way around you know you're never going to get this real life clark kent that happens to be superman story because that's not who the character is but with buddy baker i mean you get that and i mean We'll talk about this maybe in a little bit, but like I love the way that some of that plays out in the Jeff Lemire book that came out um, with the New Fifty Two because you can see some of the parallels here. And I don't like by no means are they parallel stories, but uh, the character feels the same in a lot of ways, um, even though this was the eighties and things were all sorts of weird and garbagey. But there was that that still same level of like I'm a regular dude who also happens to have these animal powers. Um, I, and I really like that. And the, the, the whole training montage that he has with his wife is really fun where he's like trying to figure out how many, you know, superpowers he can take at one time, how long he can have them. Like his wife just walks out into a guy fishing 
and is she he's like the man's confused she's very cryptic and then all of a sudden buddy baker comes out of the water and he's like i was underwater for 35 minutes um i I enjoy little bits and pieces like that why are they dragging their daughter along on this too like there's the daughter in the back of this jeep you know she can't be alone by herself she's too young like i realize young fives probably wasn't a thing in 1988 but like find a daycare or something like your kid does not need to be a part of it was you know. made very clear that they didn't have a lot of money because Buddy hadn't been working. <laughs> oh, right. <Yeah. laughs> Duh. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, uh... I do like the kitten that Ellen and, and the daughter rescue, and then Buddy's like like having full conversations with it when Marshall oh, yeah. Hunter shows up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like, hey, I want to hang out with you, your cat. And the kid's like, uh, can I have my pet back? And also, can you get a job? And he's like, yeah. too late. I'm hanging out with the cat. It's like... Yeah. Buddy Baker, like, what is? Oh, I love, I, I love I mean, you. You're such a weird, idiot, stupid dweeb. But, oh, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least something nice came out of that horrific or, moment or, or, of with or, the cats. Or what about yeah. when when Buddy Baker and his son um, convince Martian Manhunter to go in on an episode of a uh, prank involving the neighborhood kids? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Come on, that was a blast, Nick. Come on, that's just some good, wholesome it's fun good between a father fun. and his son and their alien friend. <laughs> you guys are making me rethink my decision not to read volume two. Maybe See, I'll have to, just for more honestly, of this. Though, I will say, like as and I've read far into this book, I, I read the whole run that Morrison did. I will say, I think on the whole, it's worth reading the whole thing. There are struggle moments. You get this weird Morrison kind of janky throw some things together and hint at some plot points um things that he does because again he was a very early writer and uh but i think the payoff in the end is really really fantastic it's something that it's gone down as one of the most like impressive things in comics for a reason um and i don't think like morrison was the most original person when he did this big reveal and i don't want to spoil it but um I think it was it's done in a way that's very clever and it works narratively with the character. It's not Morrison trying to do something um showy just for the sake of showiness. I think Animal Man's development as a character becomes very interesting and it all ties back to this beginning thing. Like, why is he such a shit character? <laughs> what what makes that happen? Why why would why would there what makes this story interesting if he's such a shitty character? How many volumes are there? I think four or five, if oh. I'm not mistaken. As long as it's not like 26 or something. Yeah, because there's only like 26 issues in the run, oh. so it's not it's not too bad. But again, they're all very like heavy, lots well, of reading. those are the only issues he did. The book stuck around and switched to other people like Peter Milligan afterwards. But Yeah, 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 yeah. So does Bawana Beast come back? Because I feel like we weren't done with that character. I think you'll have to read the rest of the series, you know? <sighs> oh, <All right>. boy. <laughs> so I, I, I love a question the fact about- that going with animal man wasn't enough he's like you know what i have to dig up my my um villains and my antagonists from sea level characters too oh yeah the whole book is just him doing that i think one of the things that threw me off about this comic early on in the volume was that bawana beast's design seemed to change at issue three like i don't know if he was just meant to be seen in shadow because he was all blue he had a helmet on you only saw him from the back and then suddenly you see him um full full front or whatever and he's shirtless with like this big red helmet and this leopard print like yeah it definitely changed it definitely changed like i thought that it might have been buddy or yeah well they yeah they look very similar except for yeah like buona beast is just buffer (laughs) yeah um he sure loved that ape though uh, yeah, well, like, I mean, that was getting I, fucking weird for me. Like every five pages, I was like, "This gonna get weird." No, I, I, I think that Morrison did a good job of showing his what he was trying to say. Like he did a good job of pushing that idea about animal testing and the cruelty. Like it was harsh. It was a harsh read to get to see that stuff and to see um, the the art for it was really really tough to digest and to understand like the terrible things that are happening um or that were happening at least in the 80s probably still happening today but uh i i I think he got the point across even with that weird wanna beast and the and the ape you know i think despite princess as he princess yes I, I think it all still worked and i i feel like wanna beast shows up again but okay you'll just have to keep reading it 
I don't know. This book was it was a it was an interesting pick. I know that the folks at the Goodreads group probably want to hear us talk more about some stuff. There's some really interesting comments that happened that folks didn't comment okay to air, so we can't really read them. I don't feel comfortable doing that, but there was a lot a lot of this book that I think a lot of people knew, hey, we really should read Animal Man. And I feel like the response from people on Goodreads was like, whoa, this wasn't what I expected. Um, and I think, again, because the book doesn't really kick itself into gear until like the end of the second arc, early third arc. Um, and that's where you get the thing that becomes like the big twist on the whole book. I, I will say visually, I thought, um, I, I honestly didn't mind the art from Chris Truog, we're gonna butcher that one too. Chaz, Chaz Truog. Chaz, sorry, Jesus, Chaz Truog. Um, like a lot of the art from this era for me, um, like the art definitely feels like a product of the era, right? Like it's you see it and you kind of can roughly pinpoint it within a decade, give or take. Yeah, but that being said, unlike a lot of the other art from that era, like it flows well, like. When I've read other art from this era, sometimes you stop and you look at something and you're like, well, that that just looks really weird or that just doesn't look right. Um, and while I'm not marveling over this art, I do feel like it flows really well. So you're not stopping and ha- <clears throat> so you're not stopping and having those moments where you're like, God, that's kind of glaring or, or weird. Like you, you don't really have those moments, at least. Yeah. Kate, what do you think of the art in this? I think it fit the time like i didn't mind it like there is some like older art that bothers me a lot that i just can't look at for some reason Mm -hmm. for an extended Mm -hmm. period of time but i i I could read this one just fine i mean like you had mentioned boana beast and buddy ended up looking very similar like there was a lot of blonde white men in this book and then (laughs) i've already mentioned the there was um you know some character designs too that were not great for women um but then again for men also i mean that was the large wait are um, you telling me that their neighbor just like laying out in a bikini constantly wasn't okay are you telling me that yeah that wasn't (laughs) great and then uh like scala call or something one of the thanagarians like basically had suspenders on as a shirt (laughs) yeah yeah i I remember being weirded out by that yeah um but in general, I mean, like the art style and such, it was all right. I mean, it it would be something that if I saw in one of today's um, books, I'd be kind of alarmed by like, who is this person? Have they not been working for the last 40 years or something? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it was fine. Yeah. For yeah. Me. And I, I think what's interesting is that I think Truog's art works really well for sci-fi stuff because I thought that the invaders, they looked really cool. Like, their their helmets and their spaceship and stuff looked really cool. Um, but his real-life, like, and his his real-life people and real-life world felt more cartoonish to me um, it, compared to some of the sci-fi stuff they did. And, and that's, I mean, that's whatever. Like, I really like the way he drew uh, Martian Manhunter. I thought that that was really great. But his yeah. humans looked kind of I thought his strange. Superman looked really good, too. Yeah, his Superman was pretty good, too. Aliens. Just aliens only. Even if they look yeah. like humans. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is this is a really interesting book. I mean, I I think I don't think it's perfect. I think it's got a lot of stuff going for it, but it's a clunky first volume. And I think if you read on, you won't notice as much clunkiness. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't really have too much more to say about this, so we can we can wrap up right here, guys. Unless you guys have any final thoughts. Uh, I just wanted to say that I happened to have read Jeff Lemire's Animal Man a couple months ago, oh, okay. and I'm really glad that I noticed that this wasn't the same creator, because I may have just reread Jeff Lemire's Volume 1 and gone into this episode talking about that one and been totally wrong. Holy smokes. <laughs> but, um, I, Mike, I think that you've also read Jeff Lemire's Animal Man. Do you feel like oh, yeah. this series would flow into that series all right? Oh, no. Absolutely okay. not. Um, I, I mean, Nick, I, I will let, I will give Nick his soapbox to preach the gospel about that book in a second. But um, no, I, I think Buddy Baker feels the same. I, I think his son is a definitely a little bit different. Um, yeah, I, I think there's an, it's an interesting like Jeff Lemire's take on Animal Man feels very parallel universey. It yeah. feels like he knew he read Morrison's Animal Man and he knew who the character was and you see some parallels but on the whole I don't think that they're they're very close at all. 
Okay. Outside of them being called the same character and having the same powers. I think Lemire does a really good job of evolving Animal Man emotionally and doing more to build some, do some world building. Whereas Morrison was really trying to develop Animal Man and do something specific about bad superheroes, I guess. Like, that's the only, sim- that's the only simple way I can describe it. I do have to say that this volume really informed a lot of the questions that I had about Lemire's books, though. Like, specifically why the character design was the way that it was. Like, his son still has a mullet and his wife still has 80s mom hair. Um, I did really enjoy seeing the daughter in this volume after all of the things that happened to her in Lemire's run <laughs> she's so. just an innocent little girl in this yeah, one i think <laughs> with a kitten that's it that's her whole nick, life nick you've read uh the lemire run you're not a fan of it right <laughs> <laughs> i don't even like people insinuating that that's a joke um <laughs> no i i absolutely love lemire's run i think that obviously there's there's a commonality Lemire shifts him more into being an, an indie film actor if I recall exactly instead of a stuntman yeah um and and of course despite the fact that Lemire's version of the you know with the new 52 was much more about an integrated um all-encompassing very involved unified um universe um Lemire still kept his book fairly isolated as opposed to some of the stuff that you see in in Morrison's where you have Superman and and um Martian Manhunter and and the likes um and of course I think he pivoted the book more towards horror I would argue yeah. which which I think does eventually happen following Morrison's departure I think when Jamie ugh, the guy who first wrote Hellblazer when he takes over Animal Man the book pivots more towards horror unsurprisingly um yeah there's a lot that you can go with and Lemire does that I think you know Animal Man has a lot of potential for that yeah I mean I I would say if you like if if you even slightly enjoyed one of the two series you could probably uh you know put up with the other even though mm-hmm. obviously I know a lot of people have mixed feelings about Travel Foreman's art, which, you know, that's, um, it's too bad you feel that way, I guess. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Travel Foreman, I think, is a very, like, divisive artist. Um, oh, totally. And it's, it, there's nothing wrong with not liking that art style because it's very in your face. It feels really visceral compared to something like this, which feels very 80s, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. But yeah, I, I think, I mean, to Nick's point, if you read one or the other, you probably could get in on the other, the opposite, whatever. If you read the 80s version, read the New 52. I think they're both really good jumping on points for the character. Um, and I don't, I don't want to say they completely like aren't related to, you know, I was just saying that to make a joke, Kate. But uh, I think it's it's interesting to see two takes on the same character and same, like, similar origins. Um, and it's, it's a good... I don't know. It's a really good comparison, I, I, and I think having read the Animal Man from the New Fifty Two made me want to read the this version, and I, I think I enjoyed it more because of that. So maybe I, if you and, enjoyed and I think this, Lemire run. really changes up the family dynamics too. Yeah, I would yeah. argue um, it's not as much about like because uh, like the the kids feel very much like an 80s sitcom where it's the kid who's <laughs> yeah. like, oh man, dad, you're the worst or whatever, and then <laughs> cue the laugh track. track, right? Yeah. So, gotcha. Well, um. Let me know if you guys keep reading this. I mean, I don't know, Nick, if you've completely read through all of this, but Kate, if you read it as well, um, let me know, because I'd be interested to hear your thoughts as the story progresses. Yeah. Um, I know we don't have, like, a series or anything on this, but I'd be I'd be curious to know what you think as the story goes on, For because sure. it does definitely do something very interesting. But let's wrap up here. This has been a very fun episode. I'm exhausted from doing so much podcasting this week, so we're cutting the show right now. Running out of tape in my brain. Uh, You can follow us all on the internet. (laughs) You can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow Kate at Kate L. Fear. You can follow me at Mike Rappin, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. We post comic news, art, sass. I retweet all sorts of fun stuff that people are doing on the show, so make sure to go follow us there to just get an overview of what's happening at I Read Comic Books. And we've got something really big coming next week, really big in that it's really big for me so you guys would be really excited for episode 200 so get hyped 
We would also love it if you went ahead and joined us over at our Goodreads group where we have weekly threads. One of this week's threads involves the discussion of Ice Cream Man Volume 1. We would love to hear your thoughts on this book. We know it's a real, um, really brings out the conversation and, and speculation and discussion in people. So we would love to hear that. Also, we've got ircbpodcast.com. That's our website. Head on over there. Check out our pronunciation guide. We also have merch. Hopefully, we'll get Chris Truog's pronunciation on there soon enough. Yes, uh, we will. It's Chaz <laughs> Truog. And I swear to God, Nick, you, you, wow. you said Chris every time. <laughs> Look, I'm sorry. Like, my audacity thing is blocking the names. I can't see it. That's okay. That's okay. And also, please rate and subscribe and tell your friends and share the show if you haven't rated why not it helps us it doesn't matter if it's on stitcher it doesn't matter if it's on itunes we need those five stars give me those stars you can email the show with comments questions jokes etc at ircb at destroy and you can find us on patreon at patreon.com slash ircb podcast for the discord access top of my pile posts free stickers and more Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music for the show. We can't thank them enough. You can always check out their music at infinityshred.com. Xander is a true wizard, a great friend, and a nice person to be around. He also edits the show. He's such a fantastic person. I want to say thank you to Nick and Kate for being on the show this week. I want to say thank you to the listeners out there for just being stupendous individuals. And Joe out there for insulting me regularly. I appreciate that. And until next time, (laughs) comics are good and so are you. 